0: trail cameras and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable.
1: This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology.
0: What's up everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. and We got a good episode today. First off, before I even get into today's episode, I do have to say this. It is bright and sunshiny and the temperatures here in Iowa are increasing and I'm pulling, well, I don't even think they have school tomorrow because of Easter, but uh, I am taking my daughter on her very, not her first hunt ever, but there's an opportunity for her to pull the trigger on a deer or a, on a turkey this weekend, and uh, I'm freaking excited. I know she's excited. Uh, I'm gonna have my stepdad with me. He's gonna be back behind us, basically calling for us, so I can uh, so I can focus on her and the gun and getting the shot lined up. And he'll be calling, and I'll probably sing uh, signal to him, you know, hey, call more, call less. And I got a couple of decoys that were going to be out. And, man, it's, I'm just really looking forward to this. Um, this is this is the stuff that I really like. Like I like going out and helping other people get turkeys. Uh, I like to call for people. I like to, uh, you know, help people, you know, put people in position to be successful for turkeys. And I honestly don't care if I ever shoot another turkey. I, I just love you know, being the guy who gets to watch it kind of all unfold, I, I love that about turkey hunting, and I'm 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 really looking forward to sharing this experience with my daughter. She's jacked up about it. So, with that said, uh, we got a really good episode today. We're going to be talking with. Greg godfrey of tethered and really what this episode is is a update on all the new products that they've introduced over the last year they've introduced some accessories they've introduced uh, a new saddle and the big one that they've done is they've worked in collaboration with the hunting public crew to introduce a new turkey vest and so Uh, he breaks all of that down for us as well. And so it's a really fun, exciting, entertaining, informational, uh, episode that you guys are going to be sure to enjoy. Please go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, let everybody know that there's a lot of information here on the hunting gear podcast, and then tag the nine finger chronicles when you share this online and I'll, I'll share it back. So, uh, I think that's all I have to really say today. We do got to do some commercials here real quick. Uh, what do we got going on? We got Hunt Stand. If you are looking to, uh, if you're looking on planning uh, an out-of-state hunt, you got to at some point find the ground that you want to hunt on, and you can't be there every day. You you might not even ever be able to scout it before you hunt it, and that's where a hunting app like Hunt Stand really comes into play. You know, you mess around with access, you look for access, you look for. Uh, edge. You can look for a whole bunch of, you know, uh, terrain features and whatnot. And all of that's available on HuntStand and you have the, uh, available, you know, there's, there's so much functionality along with HuntStand. So, uh, go to HuntStand.com, check it out while you're there, read up on all the functionality and then check out the, the pro whitetail platform as well. That's, uh, that's just recently been introduced this past year and, uh, uh I think if you're a serious bow hunter, a serious whitetail guy, you're going to find that interesting. So uh, huntstand.com. Uh, next on the list, we have tethered, of course. And so this whole episode is about tethered, uh, so I'm not going to get too, too much in there, but I'm really looking forward to uh, becoming more of an efficient saddle hunter this year uh, with, you know, I'm going to be doing less Western hunts and more tree stand type hunts if I do, in fact, draw. Uh, Kansas this year. I'm going to be, you know, doing the whole the whole uh, the tree hunting, which means I'll be a in a saddle, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. So uh, go check out Tethered's website and listen closely today about all the information that uh, Greg spits And last but not least, we have what's the last one here? I'm, I'm in the I'm in like an organization mode, so I got stuff spread out all over, and that's Tacticam. If you are Looking to document your hunts, I think for for a hunter anyway, mounting a camera to your gun or your bow is one of the best options. Uh, every time I would bring a GoPro with me and put it over my shoulder, I would forget to I would forget to press the record button, and so I just basically brought a camera into the woods with me. Uh, having a Tacticam on your bow, and on your gun, it's right in front of you. All you got to do is reach and hit the button, start it up. They have the new 6.0 version. The new 6.0 version has image stabilization, has an LCD screen. It can record in 4K. It's pretty badass, and that allows you to document your hunts and bring the footage home and show uh, your kids, your wife, your, your dad or grandpa. And so uh, go check out Tacticam. That's it for the... That's it. That's it for commercials. That's it for the intro. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode. Feel free to share it wherever you... Uh, uh, you know, on social or on on uh, wherever you message people, you know, spread the word about the Hunting Gear Podcast and uh, enjoy. All right, on this episode of the Hunting Gear Podcast, I'm joined by Greg Godfrey of Tethered. Greg, man, what's up?
1: Man, getting ready for turkey season. My uh, my season opens on Saturday here in Georgia, and uh, so later this week, just a few days away, I'm pretty excited about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Man, I tell you what, I'm a little bit jealous of those guys who get a turkey hunt uh, early in April and even in late March because Iowa's season doesn't open until mid-April. And I feel, I don't know about you, but I feel like it, all the toms are hend up at that point. And, and it just it's, it's harder to get on a bird, especially with the low numbers we're experiencing.
1: Well, Georgia just just did us dirty this year. They moved it back you know 10 12 days so it used to open in march uh last year it opened in march and this year it's opening they they even switched it up a little bit more so private land this year in georgia opens up on april the 1st which is saturday Mm -hmm. but then public land guys have to wait a full other week till uh april the 8th i guess before they can go in so so yeah that's a problem um and agreed here i mean I've got birds gobbling and strutting in February here, so they start really early. Now, the other thing is, I mean, travel. So I travel down to Florida, not every year, but frequently to get that really early March opener in. I I went this year, I already shot an Osceola this year, so I'm rolling. My turkey season is moving.
0: So if you knock out an Eastern, then are you going to head West and and try to do the Grand Slam in, in a single year? i'm doing it next
1: year i got the i got the okay from my wife for next year to right. do the whole thing e- e- to include the one in mexico the ghouls oh
0: boy so you're going for the north american one i'm doing it all Bingo! Um,
1: and uh so i'm not too concerned with it this year but next year for sure i'll start early with an osceola the eastern should be fairly easy and then head west to get the rio and the miriams and then pop down into mexico for the ghouls maybe i could do like drop drop down hit the ghouls in mexico and then just hop across the border and pick up a rio in texas
0: amen um
1: so i'm lucky you know i get to do this for a living i get to travel and you know have free time in the spring so
0: man i tell you what you guys have been crazy busy it sounds like uh, with tether not just from the growth and expansion of your brand but just like big move you guys took a you guys recently took a big move uh into nashville tennessee and that's kind of where you've placed your headquarters these days i'm interested in in why nashville and why a move in in a world today where you can really work from anywhere why did you guys decide to to plant a, a headquarters in nashville
1: there's really a couple of reasons first of all probably the main reason is I always mess up this stat, but it's something like 50% of the U.S. population lives within a day's drive of Nashville, Tennessee. So as far as the you know direct-to-consumer shipping business like we are, yeah. it just made a ton of sense for yeah. us to relocate to a really centralized area as opposed to you know our, our warehouse used to be up in Michigan, or uh, Minnesota rather, just south of the Twin Cities. So relocating down to Tennessee gets us Way it gets us a lot closer to the people that want to order, so it saves money for the customer, it saves money for us. It's just a good move from a logistics perspective. Plus, the corporate and government client climate in Tennessee is much more small business friendly than Minnesota. Um, I, not to get into politics and stuff like that, but like you know, Minnesota is like a blue state and they tend to be more heavy into regulation and taxes, mm-hmm. et cetera. And then Tennessee being, you know, more of a red state, they're typically a little bit looser on that type of stuff. Yeah. So when we moved, we saved a lot of money in taxes and, and the stuff that you have to do being a small, small business. So those two reasons really kind of made sense for the for the overall thing. But then the third reason is the plan is to get everybody there. So all of yeah. our people in one location. It was that was a harder harder thing to sell to get Mm -hmm. everybody to move to minnesota it's much easier to get everybody in nashville plus you're at a half day's drive from man all the really good whitetail i mean i can be in illinois missouri kentucky indiana in like half a day so it just makes a lot of sense for for us to be located there i'm still in georgia just because i haven't been able to make the move yet but that's the plan is for me to get there and then uh, everybody eventually to get there. Yeah, I didn't
0: know if you guys were going to be dropping an al- a tethered album because uh, you were going to be moving to Nashville, and uh, I didn't know if that was on the if that was on it's, the plate.
1: Yeah, we do. We <laughs> plan to drop an album. I'll be the lead singer. It'll be yep. the the worst selling record of all time. <laughs> of
0: all time. Of all time. <laughs> oh, that would be funny. Uh, so, uh, making the move to Nashville, uh, and not just that, but man, it's been over a year, I think, since I've talked to you and you guys have introduced what seems like a a ton of new products. And this is one of my favorite questions to ask people, uh, in your position. And that is how do you guys determine what new products to bring to market every year?
1: Man, it's not easy. So we probably have... I don't know 15 new products in various levels of you know launch some are ideas some are prototypes some are in manufacturing some are finishing up you know you have all these different stages you have to meet and it can be really difficult a lot of what what dictates when we launch a new product is manufacturing right. because because of our supply chains you know we make some stuff overseas with partners. We make a lot of gear here domestically, and when you make it here in the U.S., you can typically go from idea to launch way faster because you don't have all these gigantic lead times from getting stuff on a boat and whatnot. But then some products, they don't really make sense to make here in the States because you'd have to charge three times, and people don't want to spend $65 on a tiny little pouch that's, that's U.S. made. So it really depends on manufacturing a lot. And then it also depends on the other thing I would say that kind of pushes a timeline out is our testing. We like to test everything. And a lot of times we'll go through multiple iterations of gear before we finally nail it. And we think it's ready for, you know, hunters. Um, So really, I would say those two things, manufacturing and testing are the things that, that can slow us down, but we like to move fast. I mean, there are times where we will have an idea we will all get together and go back and forth in just a matter of days or you know maybe a week or two and then we have this product kind of fixed and it's ready to go then it just jumps into the manufacturing pipeline and and it could be out very very quickly but that's the exception as opposed to the rule
0: yeah so um where are you guys getting your feedback from like hey it would be cool if Tether had this or are you guys just reading the market and saying, well, let's try this as opposed to getting information from the end user.
1: I'd say it's a mix. It's a, it's a healthy mix of both. I mean, there's always talk on social media, on forums, on Facebook, on wherever that, you know, you can kind of listen to the feedback from, from customers and non-customers. You know, you hear feedback from haters, you get feedback from fanboys, you get feedback from just regular joes you get feedback from everywhere um and then you know our network of guys inside of tethered is pretty phenomenal i mean we've got some guys that work with us who are straight killers i mean you got guys like andy may and jared Schaefer and garrett Prawl and the thp boys and the untamed guys and you know there's just a lot of people that we work with that have really they give us really good feedback on, on gear that we're prototyping or testing. And then, you know, tethered employees. I mean, we got a lot of great guys who just work with tethered because we essentially hired all of our friends, yeah. all of our hunting buddies, and that's who runs tethered for the most part. So uh, we kind of lean heavily on our close network of people, but then, you know, filter through what we see on social media and, and forums and stuff like that. But yeah. you also have to take that stuff with a grain of salt, the stuff that you see on social media, because, So many people just, they just talk and they just don't know. A lot of times they don't have a clue. So you kind of have to take that stuff with a grain of salt.
0: Yeah. And I'll I'll tell you what, um, whenever I talk, you know, like we are partners, uh, you're, you guys are advertising partners on the nine finger Chronicles uh, podcast. And one thing that I always say when I do my ad reads is, you know, the product is awesome, but. It's the network that you guys have created in the the community that you guys have created where people are really open to sharing ideas and sharing uh, strategy and, you know, DIY type, you know, like guys, guys like to tinker with things and, and things like that. And I think Tethered has done a really, really good job of using that community to promote your product in a way that allows people to like really flatten a learning curve. And because to be honest with you, one of my main hurdles before I made the jump into a saddle, you know, and I'm not even in a saddle, I would say full time yet, but um, there was, there was some obstacles that I've mentally had to jump through in order to, you know, get on board with a saddle uh, with, get on board with saddle hunting and guys like Garrett and Andy and Parker they all made it it very simple to reach out to and just be like, hey, what about this? What about this? And so that's pretty sweet that you guys have created that community.
1: thank you well we work hard at it and it's you know it, it's 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 kind of easy for us in that regard because that's who we are that's where we came from i mean for anyone listening that doesn't know the tethered story the 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 elevator pitch of that is we were a bunch of dudes who met in a hunting forum and so we were just i didn't even know the people face to face that right. we started the company with and right. so it was all about this kind of diy mentality and ethos where we we kind of got a business going out of that, and it's just carried on. We we, we hit our five year mark in June. This yeah. this June twenty twenty three tethered has been a business for five years, so it's you know we're new, or essentially a startup, and we've just kind of kept that ethos since the beginning. Of, yeah, you know, community driven, DIY focused. Uh, it means a lot to us, and that's really who we are. So it's not a stretch for us to kind of foster that. that 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 mentality in the
0: company right right in that in that uh last five years since you guys uh, kicked off uh what have been some of the biggest obstacles that you guys have had to overcome as a company
1: you for sure manufacturing I, i mean for sure i mean we we were a bunch of guys who like i said we're a bunch of diy public land dudes who were just kind of pounding the pavement hunting. Yeah. And none of us were manufacturing experts. So my partner, Ernie, who handles the logistics side of tethered, he has a little bit of a background in that stuff. He's an engineer, but when it comes to cut and sew, we, we didn't know, we didn't know how to do that on right. a large scale. And then tethered kind of blew up so fast that we had to learn very quickly. So for sure, manufacturing and supply chains have been incredibly difficult to learn I mean, and we have international supply chains and that's a whole nother beast. And then we were fortunate and unfortunate in that when we were only two years old, you know, COVID hit Mm -hmm. and that threw the entire logistics supply chain out the window. And so that was kind of a nightmare. So I would definitely say I would definitely say supply chain management logistics has been the biggest hurdle we've had to figure out. Um, It's it's not like it's a incredibly complex it just takes a lot of time and you can really waste a lot of money me and ernie call it our idiot tax uh <laughs> anytime we make a really stupid decision or you know we're just ignorant about something we've had to do it so many times man i, I don't remember which product it was but there was one where we messed up our timelines and we had to end up airlifting a whole bunch of stuff from overseas and yeah. it ended up costing us like $65,000. And we just called it an idiot tax. It's just like, you know, we're idiots. We learned, but that was our, that was our educational tax. And yeah, I paid a lot of those over the last five years. Yeah.
0: But it sounds like you guys are getting more efficient as time goes on and you learn from those mistakes.
1: Yeah, we're getting better. And then you know, co-locating all of those, all that logistics in one place, which is what we did in Tennessee. It kind of helps reduce those mistakes and poor planning and educational points.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so um, you guys, and I'm going to, I'm probably going to come back to the saddle hunting, but uh, in, in just a moment. But because it's turkey season, I want I want to touch on this new product launch that you have. And it's a turkey vest. And it sounds like you're rolling it out with uh, the hunting public crew. And so my, my question to you is, how did that whole idea spark off to where a saddle hunting company is going to put out a turkey vest?
1: I don't remember who called who. If, if I called Warb or if Warb called me, I can't, I can't remember because it started about two and a half years ago. Um, we actually, the first time we met about it was in your neck of the woods. We met at the Iowa deer classic in in one of the rooms, I don't know, two years ago, three, two, yeah, probably two year two years ago. And that's when we had kind of our initial, you know, uh, idea generation brainstorming session. And yeah. it really just came from those guys wanting a durable turkey vest that was lightweight and simple. Mm-hmm. And then, kind of us wanting to do the same thing we wanted to bring in some turkey products to help reduce the seasonality of tethered because you know once whitetail season's over it's like you know it's really slow so we wanted to get some stuff happening in the spring and it just kind of made sense uh the, the way that it worked out but those guys are awesome they brought all the turkey chops you know we don't we're all turkey hunters at Tethered, but not like those guys. I mean, they spend 60 days in the woods every year, you know, just dirt bagging it for turkey. So they knew exactly what they wanted. It took us a few iterations to get there. And then, you know, we, we worked a deal with uh, Mossy Oak for for using the bottomland pattern. And we actually created a proprietary fabric with Mossy Oak. Their engineers laminated a two-piece fabric together that we call Whisper Tough. And it's, it's really quiet. It's got a really quiet exterior, but then the back is made, the the backing is made with a really durable, you get really strong and really quiet. So kind of boring, but we put a lot of thought into it. Um, and, you know, it's an expensive vest. It's like 300 bucks, but it's made in America and it's infinitely modular. And I think we were really the first made in America turkey vest. There, there are some other companies like Marsupial makes uh, an Upland vest that's kind of similar it's made Mm. in the usa and i think there's maybe one or two others that kind of make like a modular more upland focused vest they're really similar right i mean they're modular pockets it's not a new concept i mean i i wore what we call the lbv which is the load bearing vest when i was on active duty wore that for years and that's really similar to our m2 turkey vest it's a load bearing yoke and waist belt and then you have modular pockets not like a crazy new idea we just kind of put it in camo and made it work for Turkey hunters. And, you know, as far as I know, I think we were the first ones to do that and make it in America. So there's trade-offs, right? I mean, you can have it made in America and support American workers and have super high quality materials and the price goes up Mm -hmm. or you can make it overseas. Like, every other turkey vest company does and make it way cheaper, but then you're going to sacrifice durability and maybe you're not going to get it exactly like you want it with maybe not quite as high of, of components. So it's just a trade-off. It's not for everyone. That, that vest is definitely not for everyone. You don't need to spend $300 on a turkey vest to kill turkeys. You just don't You can go out there with a couple calls in your pocket and kill turkeys. But this one is really made for the guy that is serious about it and he wants the best
0: man i i keep having these conversations with people uh about like i i I don't i think people's mind frame on an expensive made in america product is so short term that they don't think of the long-term benefits of having a very high quality expensive product like I'm looking right now at a Western mountaineering sleeping bag. I paid 680 bucks for it or something like that. Made in America. It's if I take care of it, it's going to last me 20 years. Okay. And you, you divide 650 out by 20 years. Yeah, you know, like whatever that math is, that's very, very affordable. Right. And so, you know, I, I hear made in America, high quality Turkey vest. i I instantly think, and because I know your brand, I feel like, that's going to last me 15 turkey seasons. You know, so you take 350 divided by, or whatever your, your cost is, 300 divided by 15 That's like, that's really affordable. And so um, I just get, I, I, I kind of get fired up when people, you know, it's like, oh, it's just too expensive. It's too expensive. Everything's too expensive these days. Everything is. And so why not put that money to something that you actually love doing?
1: Yeah, and it's all relative, right? So $300, $300 yeah. for a turkey vest is really expensive to some guys, and it's not so expensive to others, right? right? There's a there's a range of, of people and finances and jobs and all that stuff. So, again, it's not yeah. for everyone. You don't yeah. have to spend $300 on a turkey vest. We know that. We're not yeah. saying you have to to kill turkeys. That's not what it's about. But to your point, if you want one that's going to last you a really long time, that you can really customize for the way you hunt and you can add or remove stuff add pockets take away pockets make it super minimalist make it super lightweight make it super bulky and carry everything you can do that and there's not a lot of options out there for people that want to have that kind of flexibility so if you want the best spend spend the money you know we like to say Buy once, cry once, right. and it'll last you forever, as opposed to spending a hundred bucks every turkey season or every few turkey seasons on on a new vest.
0: Right. Elaborate a little bit more in the customization of this bag and how it can fit a person's individual needs.
1: So the cool thing about it is we made it we made it on a uh, with a Molly compatible load bearing vest or load bearing belt, I should say. Again. This is not a new concept. The U S military and the army has been using this. They call it the LBV a load bearing vest. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really well-made heavy duty uh, structural vest that carries a lot of weight. So we kind of just took that concept, trimmed it down and turned it into a yoke system instead of a full vest, and then put that load bearing belt on it. And it's all Molly on the side. And with, if you're familiar at all with, with, molly it's just a series of webbing straps that you can attach and detach gear as you see fit so we've got we've got horizontal pockets we've got all pockets we've got a hydration pack we've got bird bags we've got working on bino adapters to go on the front so you can really kind of mix and match think of it almost like as legos where you just kind of get the pieces you want and then you just stick it together for the way you hunt so you might be a really minimalist guy and really all you want is, is those pockets on the side for your calls. And you might like, like the guys at THP are a perfect example of this Ted uh, at the hunting public. He basically set his up as minimalist as possible. And then Greg who carries a lot of cameras and he does all the self filming stuff. He maxed his out so he can carry tripods and decoy and all that stuff that he takes. So, I think that's the cool part about it. That's what those guys like so much about it is, is that it's, it's mid, it's made for the mobile hunter and the guy who likes modularity. That's where yeah. the name comes from. So it's the M two Turkey vest for mobile and modular. So you yeah. can change it however you want it. And then, it, but it's really made for the guy that, you know, is, is covering a lot of ground. You know, if you're hunting in a blind pretty much all the time, you probably don't need this thing. You know, it's, yeah. it's, Probably not for you. But if you're covering a lot of ground, maybe hunting a lot of public land, maybe you hunt a lot of even private land, but you bounce around to a lot of different farms or acres, acreage, then this would probably be a really good product for you.
0: Gotcha. Why do you think really serious hunters gravitate towards tethered? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
1: I think it's because of the thought we put into things. I mean, our crew... uh... Man, I could name names, but all the guys that kind of started with Tethered and then like our partners that we've started to expand our network with, we just put a lot of thought into stuff. Yeah. And we we really use our gear. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of gear manufacturers that are owned by big corporations and they're owned by people who don't really hunt and they don't use their gear, they don't believe in it, they don't stand behind it. It's just a product that they offer to fill a niche in the market, right? Absolutely. That That's not who we are. We are guys that sleep in our trucks and travel out of state and hunt all over the country. And that's how we do it. So we yeah. build the gear selfishly for us. And I think that, I think that hunters out there see that and they believe that we truly stand behind our gear and that we're actually using it. I think that makes a big difference. Um, yeah. We're constantly looking for ways to make things lighter, better, faster, stronger. And, you know, we constantly iterate on our products. So a lot of the stuff that you might've bought two seasons ago, like let's say the phantom saddle, that's our best selling saddle of all time. Well, that thing has gone through multiple iterations Mm -hmm. and, you know, we will update the materials. We'll update the bridge. We'll update the storage. We'll update the comfort, you know, whatever we kind of iterate our products And that's just because we use it, you know, we'll be in Illinois hunting during the rut and we'll figure out, man, this, this webbing started making noise when it got really cold. Let's change that webbing to something that's quieter and softer. So we're constantly doing stuff like that. And I think that, I think that hunters respect that.
0: Yeah. Give me another example of a time in, in one of those, uh, iterations that you were talking about where you got feedback from maybe a real serious guy serious bow hunter and you're like oh my god you're right and you made the change
1: yeah so the his strap is a perfect example of that and the his strap is is the hys strap it's that it's the hang your stuff strap and mm-hmm. what that is is when you're up, up in a tree you put this strap around the tree and that's how you hang your pack you hang your bow you hang your grunt call it's just a little daisy chain strap well we started out with a really heavy duty Kind of, it was really overbuilt webbing, mm-hmm. so it was kind of bulky. It was really long. We made it like ten foot long, and that was our first generation. I think it was Andy May that was using it, and he said, "Man, I like it, but it's just bulky because for for what I need it to do, you know." I think the webbing was rated to like a thousand pounds or something, <laughs> and, and it, it was totally overbuilt. And he he's like, "Man, I get it. Like, it's super strong, but I don't need it." to tow my jeep i just needed to hang my bow and put my pack on it and we were like man you're right so what we did is we went back to drawing board and we reduced the size of the webbing and the strength rating we reduced the length of it we added a little extra length uh, to all of the little loops so it's easier to get your stuff in and out and and then that went into into production so i could probably give you three or four more examples if i thought about it for a minute but that's that's the first one that came to mind is that we do that stuff all the time.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, so I've noticed that um you know, based off of the first saddle that you guys uh, uh put out, then you had the I call it the fat boy, uh the one that I have the, the extra large, you know, uh saddle for the bigger dudes, and then you went to like uh this might be new this year. It almost like a uh, it has suspenders almost or uh, uh, shoulder straps that connect to it so it's almost like a a safety harness type deal and you guys now have that Um, do you guys ever see yourself going even smaller and going into or because I, I feel like I've seen the trend go to bigger more comfortable do you guys ever see yourself going the opposite way now which is very very minimal very very small probably not when
1: we started tethered our first saddle was called the mantis and that one that was supposed to be exactly what you're talking about that was ultra minimalist doesn't have a lot of the features that we you know some of our other saddles have had and the whole point of that thing was to make it 15 ounces right under a pound which was bananas in in the industry nothing had ever even been close to that so that's kind of where we started and the feedback that we got was um yeah we care from hunters you know we heard hunters saying yeah we really care about weight because we're we're getting away from a tree stand to reduce our weight cuz when we're walking a long way or walking up hills and stuff we don't want to carry big heavy metal tree stands right so weight is important but it's also okay you know this is again for, from the hunters it's also okay if we are a little bit more than a pound yeah. So what we heard was, you know, you don't have to be so minimalist where you sacrifice a lot of features. So our next couple of saddles, the uh, the Phantom and the Menace, they were a little bit heavier. Not much. You know, you're talking six, eight ounces in the yeah. grand scheme of things. Uh, but we built in extra features, a little bit more user-friendly option. And then the saddle that you just referenced that we just released at the ATA uh, that goes on sale this June. It's called the Lockdown. And that one is kind of like a completely opposite way of how we started. So we went with super ultra lightweight in the beginning. And, you know, we like, like that's the Ferrari, right? right? Super fast, super light, you, that kind of thing. And now this new one is kind of more like a Cadillac. It's more focused on comfort, more focused on user friendliness. And that one, I think, is going to be a home run. People really seem to like it uh it's heavier but in the grand scheme of things it's not that much heavier you know if the mantis was 15 ounces i don't remember i don't have the number off the top of my head but this one's probably going to be just under two pounds so double the weight but when you go from one pound to two pounds is it is it that much of a difference um i don't know we'll see the market will tell us if it's too too heavy
0: there you go there you go uh what else is there anything else that or any other category you broke into the turkey hunting category is there any other product line or or category that you guys see yourself dabbling in in the future
1: definitely going to expand turkey stuff yeah we're all turkey hunters and you know again the seasonality of the whitetail business it just makes sense to get into more turkey stuff so we already have three or four three or four three or four ideas in the hopper for what we can do for Turkey stuff next year. Um, So you're, you're definitely going to see more Turkey stuff. Um, As far as, you know, I get asked all the time if we're, if we would consider making a tree stand, Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not opposed to it, but it would, I, I'm not interested in doing a me too product, Right. right? I'm not interested in, Hey, this, you know, pound and a half lone wolf custom gear, tree stand exists I'm not interested in saying oh yeah I have one too yeah so we did it it would have to be something that was really cool and uh, really new and would actually help hunters more than what's available because when you think about like how tethered started literally that did not exist there was one other saddle hunting company on the planet that you could buy from and their stuff was really well made but it was overbuilt like their saddle was I think four pounds And we came in at one pound and we had all the pouches and the better ropes and all that stuff. So it was, we really felt like we hit a niche that wasn't available on the market. So if we were to do like a tree stand or something, it would have to be something pretty groundbreaking. And we don't, we don't have anything in the works for that right now. But uh, yeah, I definitely don't want to take it off the table that we would not break into any other hunting adjacent markets. I mean, we, we launched a pack this past year, um, called the Fast Pack for all saddle hunters. And there's definitely more in the works in that. We've got a Fast Pack XL in the works that'll hopefully get launched this season. We've got some other cool stuff in the pack arena that's going to be coming out in 2023 and 2024. I'm excited about that. And people are going to really like what we've got in the works.
0: So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, as always, man, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and update us on, on uh, Tethered's direction and products and things like that. So thanks for your time today and uh, good luck with the, uh, the release of the, the new saddle and the Turkey vest.
1: Thanks, man. Hopefully uh, once uh, the Iowa season opens, hopefully you get them birds quick.
0: Heck yeah.